Hi everyone, it's a pleasure to have you with me for this episode on the Full Circle Podcast. Today we are exploring how it feels to trust after betrayal. There are situations in our lives that rock us to the core and ultimately affect our ability to trust ourselves. For some people, it will be a series of events that cause them to lose their trust in their decisions over time. But for others, it may be a single devastating event that makes them doubt everything they thought they knew. My guest today is Deborah Twelves, a woman whose life was turned upside down when she discovered her husband of 20 years had been leading multiple lives with at least four different women, even fathering children with at least two of them. Rocked by his infidelity, Deborah experienced many of the emotions that you'd expect of a woman who'd been betrayed in such a way. But what struck me was Deborah's ability to rebuild her life, restore the trust she lost in herself, and overcome the devastation in such a positive way. In fact, she took the heartbreaking events she endured and turned them into a fantastic novel called 20 Years a Stranger. My conversation with Deborah explores her journey of healing, including the hard truths from a friend's husband that helped to get back on her feet and how she was able to trust herself again. So welcome to Full Circle Finding Your Way Home podcast and I've got the lovely Deborah Twelves with me today. Welcome Deborah. How are you feeling about our conversation today? I'm looking forward to it very much. Thank you Gillian and thank you for inviting me. Oh it's no problem and I'm actually delighted actually that you're here because I have read your book 20 Years a Stranger and I just want to say thank you so much for writing such a, a wonderful book and I'm sure our listeners are going to get to find out more about your book and your story as we go through our conversation today. So I wondered as just as we get into our conversation, your book 20 Years a Stranger, I thought maybe we could start off there because that is based upon your story, your true story and although it's wrote in a narrative so you've got characters within the story, it is based upon your own experiences. So I wondered Could you tell us a little bit more about those experiences and those true events? Yes, of course. It all started really with with an email. So I was visiting my my mum up in the northeast of England and um, my husband, who I've been married to for 20 years, uh, he was working away and I'd I'd gone up to to take my mum out for for the evening really to, to a concert. And that evening, 10 o'clock, I was going to bed. There was a ping from uh, my phone to signal an email. And I just I picked it up, had a quick look at it. And the subject of the email was the wife, the mothers, the other women and the bits on the side. So initially, I think I just looked at it and the, I didn't recognize the name of the woman. And my, my first reaction was, what on earth is this? The first few lines said that, started with, I have been in a relationship with, etc. And I I looked at it and I just denied completely. And I thought somebody must have hacked his email. Um, this can't be true. It's There's no way this is right. And eventually I, I picked up the phone, rang my husband and I got a very strange reaction. His reaction was, was just, oh yeah, great. How are you? How was the concert last night? How's your mum? And I said, well, I got an email last night, a really 
odd email about you and he goes oh yes I know it's um it's it's awful isn't it and I still expected him to say this woman is um has been stalking me she's hacked into my emails or whatever but no he just said I'm not proud of myself but yes it's all true just read the email and it was just so cold and so abrupt and I just I, I just couldn't believe it was happening to me. And it kicked off a, a sort of, you know, chain of events that just seemed to get progressively worse over the next next few years, really. Wow, what a story. And you'd obviously said you'd been married for 20 years in which you believed everything was totally fine and you were happily married. That's right. Yes, we met at a sailing event. We both had a shared passion of sailing. I grew up sailing with my dad from a very young age, since I was about seven, I used to go sailing with him. We had this shared passion. We um, got married after about eight months. Within about eight months, we were married. But bearing in mind, we were both over 30. So I think it's slightly different if you do things quickly when you're that little bit older. And everything seemed great. It never occurred to me at all that um, that I would suddenly find myself in the position that I that I found myself. And obviously, we've had a conversation before around this, but I remember you telling me that your husband at the time, when it all unraveled, as you said, it was a couple of years for everything to really fully unravel, but he was actually living a quadruple life. So basically four different lives in one go. Can you share a little bit more about that with us, please? Yes. In the, in the email, it effectively informed me that my husband, I, I basically didn't know him at all, He'd actually been living four different lives with four completely different women, fathering children with two of them. Those children were aged 13 and seven at the time. So this had been going on a long time. And it was just the enormity of finding that out and and wondering how on earth this could have happened behind my back. And I just couldn't believe that I had gone through life for these last 20 years not realising what was happening. So it was it was an absolute bombshell. No, it does sound incredible and it's something that you would never really expect to experience going through your life. So really wondering and curious around how did it feel when your husband said, yeah, actually this is true? How did it actually impact you in that moment? Well, I think what struck me most about his reaction was the coldness and the lack of any real emotion. There was no breaking down, no tears, no begging me for forgiveness, how sorry he was. There was none of that. So in a way, that was even worse because it made me feel even less, even more worthless and unwanted, I suppose. Um, and in fact, he, he did go on to declare undying love for the the lady that had sent the email and had found out about his um you know his various infidelities and what was the you know in terms of the emotion can you describe the word or how how you felt at that time yeah i think just just utter devastation and um feeling broken really that i i disbelief denial i i just couldn't come to terms with it and couldn't accept what had what had happened to me and then realizing that i was the victim in this, I just felt, I felt pathetic, I suppose, and uh, a bit ridiculous. I was suddenly plunged into a situation where I just felt completely isolated and just sort of a lack of trust in in myself, in my own judgment. 
everything really. And when you did experience that lack of trust in yourself and your own judgment, how did that show up in in areas of your life? I found that I, I was just running around a bit like a headless chicken and totally directionless. I felt really that I, I just couldn't cope with anything. I couldn't cope with work. I couldn't cope with you know doing any of the things that I would normally have done. I just kind of I basically wanted to just hide under the duvet and not get up in the morning. It, it was a, a fairly dark time initially, I must say, and it was quite hard to shape myself and accept that I I had to get on with it and get through it. And I suppose, you know, hearing you, the word that comes to mind, and I know we spoke about this earlier on, was this the sense of betrayal and the impact that had on you. And I think the the betrayal was, A, the fact he betrayed me with other other women and been having these other lives behind my back. He'd be telling me what he was going away working, I was believing him trusting him, thinking he was working really hard, thinking he had problems with the business and, you know, worrying about him, worrying about the stress he was under. I'd make extra efforts to help sort things out with the boat or to to take more responsibility on my own shoulders. In fact, what he was doing was going off and going on a family holiday with, with one of his other families and uh, just leaving me to sort anything out at home and worry about him with no reason to. Um, so there was that betrayal, but then there was also the betrayal of the fact that all through our marriage, he said he didn't want children. And for me, that was that was a, a really big thing. We did, we discussed it before we got married and we all, all always said, yes, we'd like children, but, you know, not for the first few years because... You know, we wanted to sail the boat, wanted to carry on racing, doing all the things we were doing. But, you know, we were over 30 and, uh, you know, after two or three years, you start to think, well, you know, best not leave it too long, especially as a woman. And then to find out that that when we'd come round, I'd sort of come round to his way of thinking and we'd discussed it, we'd decided in the end that we weren't going to go down the route of having children. He became more and more adamant he didn't want them. And in the end, you know, I I came around to his way of thinking and we agreed not to have children. But then to find out that he'd gone behind my back and had two with other people whilst stopping me from having any as a woman, it felt just huge. And I don't think, to be honest, I don't think I'll ever really get over that. But you live with it, you put it to the back of your mind. You know, it's not the end of the world. But I don't think I'll ever really, that's the biggest thing I will never be able to forgive him for. This was just the beginning though, wasn't it? Because then it took a number of years. You kind of went through quite a lot of other things as well, including bankruptcy was where you ended up. How did you cope with that journey that then took you to that real bankruptcy? I think the fact, I went to see a solicitor to to start divorce proceedings. And as we sat there and had the conversation I just felt I could see the look on her face as she asked me each question. And I I felt more and more stupid myself. And I realized how how much over the years I'd I'd let him just get away with things or, or do things and not really question them so much to do with finances. And she was saying to me things like, has he got an accountant? Who's his accountant? Does he have life insurance? I don't know. Does he... Um, 
does he have uh, which what are his bank accounts how many bank accounts has he's got had he got I'm not really sure and there was too much vagueness all the time I didn't really have this concrete information I was working hard we were racing the boat and there was a lot always a lot to organize with that which I did most of and um I suppose it was just easier to just if he said, "Oh yeah, I'm dealing with that. Don't worry about it. It's sorted." And he would get, he would get on with it, and I I sort of left him to it. But then suddenly I realised that it was almost like I think, goodness me, I've really took my ball, my eye off the ball here. And if I was going to salvage anything out of it, out of my old life, really, I was going to have to get with the program, I suppose, and uh, fight back and find out this information. So he was always one step ahead of me at that stage because he cleared the house of paperwork. By the time I got back from my mum's a day later, he'd emptied the house of all paperwork. Um, so I really was starting from uh, from nothing. Um, I went to see the woman who'd sent the email because she appeared to have quite a bit of information one way or another. So she was a good starting point and... Then I just began to dig and dig and dig. I ended up becoming like a bit of an amateur private eye. I got my blonde wig out from an ABBA tribute, ABBA tribute I once did with a friend. I was running around the country following him in borrowed cars, uh, checking what he was up to, follow, trying to track down different assets that he said he didn't own. And I suppose basically I just wanted I wanted the truth to come out in the divorce court and I didn't want him to get away with not only destroying me emotionally but standing there in court lying about owning these various assets. For example, he had a classic car collection. He'd imported classic cars from America, 14 of them, high-end classic cars. He owned and flew a helicopter. He owned and raced the, the yacht we, we had. So, you know, I'd contributed to these things and I'd contributed to this lifestyle and I'd worked full time all, all throughout our marriage. So I, I just wanted to make sure that he was made to accept the truth in the divorce court and the judge had a fair picture of what we actually had between us. It was not easy, though, but in a way, I think it gave me a, a real focus, which which I think helped me to get through it because from that first meeting with the solicitor and, and I saw the look on her face and I thought, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not, I'm not just going to roll over and, uh, and, and, and just let, let everything flow over me. I'm going to, I'm going to do something about this. And then, like I say, it was a real focus point and chatting to friends and that they would come up with suggestions. They would have ideas. They would say things that they'd remembered or they knew. And it was like following, I suppose in, <laughs> This on a very small scale, it's like what the police do. You just follow up on every little lead that you get and every every clue, every bit of information, every conversation you remember. And once you start to to get a get, find a way in with a little lead, it's amazing how everything unravels and you know one thing leads to another. So that that actually, I think that really helped me to focus and to uh, to to keep going and have a have a point in my life. <laughs> But obviously, through that process, then started to think about, well, how am I going to move forward and, and how do I take my life forward now after all of this process? And so I wondered, how did you start to 
retrust yourself and start to build that trust back within yourself? Well, for me, I think the first thing I did, I decided that I couldn't keep things as they were. So I, I didn't, I felt like I couldn't carry on with my teaching job. I didn't want to carry on with that. I, um, I decided to hand in my notice with my te- for my teaching job. I gave that up and I thought, well, you know, it's something that it's a skill I've got. It's a career I've followed. I can um, always do supply teaching if I need to. But in the meantime, I, um, I was speaking to some, uh, some friends of mine who um, owned a hotel and uh, a small restaurant and hotel, boutique hotel, and they said they needed somebody to do front of house reception work and things. And did I fancy working for them? So I ended up doing that for about a year and I really loved it. It was completely different. Yeah, I met lots of new people there. And I think that helped me. I couldn't cope with just carrying on with everything the same as it was, except without him in my life. So I made that change for a start. Uh, I leaned very heavily as well on friends and family. And, you know, some of them, it was a bit of tough love, you know, when I needed it. Uh, My best friend, Ruth, I know her husband, who sadly isn't uh, with us anymore. I remember going down to their house and I was a bit mopey and feeling a bit sorry for myself. And of course, Ruth was full of sympathy and so on, arm around my shoulders. Whereas David just looked at me and he said, you've got to pull yourself together. What's the matter with you? You know, it's, uh, these things happen. It's not the end of the world. Nobody died. He said, uh, and to be honest, it looks to me like you're letting yourself go a bit. And I was thinking, that's not really what I need to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Not not, not at that particular time. (laughs) He meant it in a really good way. It was his, his way of helping me. And he, and he said, look, if you want my advice, the best piece of advice I can give you is you need to get up every day. He said, you know, you're, you're an attractive woman. You've got loads going for you. Get yourself up each day and get dressed. Put your makeup on as if, as if you're going out on a Saturday night and you'll feel better and uh, hold your head up because you've done nothing wrong. And, you know, he was right. He wasn't saying it to be mean to me. Sure. But, Wise uh, words. But it did yeah. give me a bit of a you know, a bit of a push and to think, oh God, yeah, actually I looked in the mirror, I thought, yeah, get your roots done, get, you know, <laughs> get the makeup out. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that optimism is really important when we're going through challenges in life. And obviously, I mean, yours have been quite extreme, but, but that sense of pull yourself together and tough love, if you described it, is sometimes quite helpful because it gives us a little bit of a shove or a kick up the backside sometimes that we need just to get a grip because I suppose it'd be very easy for people to fall into that victim mode and feel quite sorry for yourself which is totally understandable and we need to do that grieving and all that but there does come a time doesn't there where you need to get back on your on your two feet again and stand up tall yes and I think people are are sort of sad to see you like that and they want to try and get you out of that don't they really you know to help you but I do believe as well that despite bad things happening you know you've only got to I know it sounds terribly cliched but you've only got to watch the news to realize that there are so many people worse off than you and yes I was betrayed and you know yes my life fell apart at that stage but I'm healthy there's nothing there's no reason I can't make money again when you lose money you know and and you find a way of making money again there are there are ways to sort all of that 
and really, I, I honestly do believe that one door closes and, uh, and, and another one another opens. One opens and yeah. always, sometimes the, what seems to be the worst thing in your life can actually end up leading to the best things in your life. It's really interesting. My grandma used to say that to me all the time. As one door shuts, Gillian, another one will open. And I think having that optimism and that trust in that things will be okay, they will work themselves out. And it's just as you've said there, because that's exactly what you did, is you've turned this around. So tell me now about what made you decide to write the book. Right from the start, when everything happened, I'd you know be sitting around the table at dinner with friends, and they'd always be saying, oh, this is amazing. I can't, this is just absolutely incredible. Nobody would ever believe this story. You could write a book about this. And I would sort of jokingly say, oh, well, yeah, you never know, maybe I will. And then the more I, the more we joked about it, and the more I said it, the more I thought, well, actually, maybe I should try and write. <laughs> you know, maybe this is what I need to do, um, because it was something that I suppose I'd always aspired to to do, and I'd always loved reading. I'd always loved uh, sort of writing. I'd done a few articles for the Sailing Press and things like that. They were more factual, but you know, I enjoyed writing, and it was always something that I thought I might do at some point in the future, and then. Uh, all of a sudden, I had that full-on um, inspiration to to, uh, to to do it. I had exactly the subject matter, and it was very clear in my head exactly how I wanted to write it and how I wanted to tell the story. So I dithered around with it for quite a while, to be honest. So bearing in mind that I was divorced after eight months, and then there was a, a while longer with all the fallout from the bankruptcy. And in the meantime, I'd, I'd sort of write a a few pages here, a few pages there. Oh, that'll be good for the book. And I'd sort of keep it all in a file. But I was a bit directionless with it, really. And I ended up going on a, a rally to Madagascar with, uh, with my best friend, Ruth, which was just the most incredible experience for five weeks. It was a, a four by four car rally touring all around the country. And I think that was a real turning point. It was nearly four years after after my divorce. But somehow I just felt at the end of that rally, I remember saying to her, oh, do you know what? Right, this is it now. I am going to go home and I'm going to write that book. I can't pontificate anymore. I have to get it done. How did you start to, obviously you had a changing career, you had some good friendships and good in your family around you to support you. But within yourself, how did you go from feeling unwanted and unworthy and broken to getting yourself fully back trusting yourself? You've got to um, force yourself to make decisions and stick to them. So that's what I tried to do uh, without looking back and without regretting anything because at the end of the day, you, you can't change you know, the past. It happened. It was a part of your life. I think you've just got to try to look forward and, and that's what I tried to do, to plan for the future, to to look forward in the way that when, when I came back from Madagascar, it was, yes, I'm going to write the book. That was my next focus. I had to give myself things to focus on all the time and be planning towards. I came back, I decided to do it. I began as soon as I went home in September and the book was published and finished and published by the following July. Amazing, so, amazing. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because I put to bed my book. I'm just writing, finishing off my editing and my book. And it, you know, for me, self doubt cropped up a number of times. Right, you know, is, is people going to read this? They're going to think it's any good. What are going to people think? And I wondered, did you have any of those moments of self doubt? Any of those niggles that cropped up for you whilst you were going through that writing process? Oh, definitely. I totally identify with that. Yeah, I think especially towards the end, it was it wasn't so bad whilst I was actually writing it because in a way, it don't think it quite dawns on you that it will be going out there to the wider public. And then um, suddenly, as it came to the point where the book was finished, we'd done the rewrites, and it was really just time to press go and and get it published. And then I suddenly started to feel a bit panicky and think. I don't do this. I can't cope with the rejection, uh, the feeling of rejection and the feeling of failure. If nobody wants to read it, what if my friends read it and they're trying, they have to be nice to me and say, <laughs> and say, oh yeah, I loved your book. And they're really thinking, what a load of rubbish that was. And so there was all of those feelings. And, um, and I just thought, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. No, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to put myself through it. It's just, uh, it would be too awful if it all goes wrong. And I think that's where friends kept saying, well, I don't, don't see your problem. Of course, it's good enough. It's an incredible story. People will love it. Encouraged and feeling that it was actually worth uh, putting out there. And so, yeah, went ahead and did it. So out of everything you've experienced, how have you learned to really trust yourself and trusting that the universe has got you back? And it feels that actually, I don't know about you, but I'm a firm believer that when you have good people around you, for me, it's as though that they've been sent to support you, to help you in the next days of your journey. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that in terms of how you've trusted yourself, the universe, those people around you, and how you've allowed that sense of recovery and rediscovery um, filter back into your life. As I've gone on from the divorce and moved on and the things I've um, I've done, I suppose I've, I've realized that actually you've only really got one life. You have to live it and you have to enjoy it. There's, it's just too precious and too short to waste it by being miserable and regretting things that you've done or things that have happened to you. I think you just have to keep keep going forward and keep seeing the good in things and seeing the, the positive thing in things. And um, realize that you're actually okay on your own, I suppose. I think uh, that was a big one as well that I didn't necessarily need somebody else permanently in my life, like as in a man or a partner, that I can do things on my own. It'd be nice to have a partner or to be with somebody as well. I don't rule that out by any means. And I don't feel that I could never go through all that again or anything like that. But it's just that if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, well, that's okay too, really. And not to, not to sort of worry about it. So in a sense, then really just allowing yourself to go with the flow and allow what comes in to come in and not push. Yes, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still get stressed about things. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not this, I'm not this uh, permanently serene, calm person, but um, <laughs> you know, I get stressed about things. I worry about things. and and But you just have to have to try to take yourself in hand a bit and say, you know what, you can't do everything. You can't make everything perfect. If something goes a bit wrong, you just have to deal with it and cope with it as it is. You've obviously learned a lot along your journey. And I wondered what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned? The one that I, I, I actually really just talked about, I suppose, the, the, the fact of being all right on my own. Yeah. I can make decisions for 
for myself sometimes. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, no, but uh, but yes, I think um, to just think that the past happened. Don't try to erase it. You can't, and and I don't want to. You know, so I, I think you've got to remember that even though even though there was a massive betrayal over twenty years, which is huge, and there's a danger that you could just want to write off those 20 years out of your life. But I don't want to because at the end of the day, whilst I was living that life, I didn't know about the betrayal and what was going on in the background. So I was enjoying what I was doing in the moment. I was living life to the full. I was having a great time. So it's only afterwards. And when you look back retrospectively, yes, there was a lot of other stuff going on. But whilst I didn't know about it, it wasn't hurting me. So uh, just remember the the good times of the past. Because I think it is very easy to focus on the negative and and do feel what have I done with my life and and that sense of judging and beating yourself up. But actually, um, I love what you've just shared there, which is to to remember the good things as well, because it wasn't all bad. So thinking about our listeners, what advice would you give to them if they've lost their trust in a partner, a relationship, a friendship themselves, what what would you say to them? I think you have to really focus on yourself and learn to do what actually suits you and what is good for you, although it's definitely not always easy. But there are times when, you know, say no if you don't actually want to do something or be involved with, uh, with a particular person. I think you need to keep things in perspective and work out what's really important and prioritize those things but above all I think you've got to be true to yourself and remember that just because something's good for somebody else it's not necessarily good for you you know if people say oh you need to you need to get out you need to meet somebody you need to um, you know try get on this internet site or whatever maybe you just don't want to or you need to come out you need to get out you can't sit around moping but actually maybe you just want to put your feet up sit with your dog cuddly dog on the sofa and watch tv so you know whatever's right for you just uh, just do what makes you happy and try to trust your own instincts because sometimes you know if you're in a relationship with somebody whether it's a friend or a parent or a partner whatever that relationship is but if it's if it's damaging you you have to try and detach yourself. But on the other hand, if you feel that somebody is genuinely reaching out and somebody is genuinely trying to build bridges for something they've done to hurt you, then, you know, maybe if that feels right, then it's it's not good for you either to hold on to sort of bitterness and, and mm. regret, I don't think. I think that hurts you as much as anybody else in the end. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you said there. That's lovely. Oh, Deborah, it's been so lovely talking today. And I want to say thank you for sharing your story. And, you know, you are very hopeful. You're very optimistic. And I can hear that you've regained and built that trust within yourselves, your community and your families and your family as well. They've been a great support as well to support you through this. So I know that you are, just as we wrap up, just a kind of a shameless plug here for your next book. um, Because this is, the, the 20 Years a Stranger actually, is your first book out of the uh, out of the three that you're doing so your second book is coming out soon isn't it ghost of a stranger yes yes I um, originally only intended to write the one the one book to tell my story I suppose a way of telling my story and um, I actually you know with some fictional elements woven in there 
And the more I, I, I wrote, the more I found I was enjoying doing it. And then I had a, a bit of an about turn at the end of, of the first book and thought, you know what, I'm going to leave this open for people wanting more and I'm going to write a sequel to it. In fact, I'm going to write it as a trilogy. So I, I really did enjoy it. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. This is, this is something I want, to, uh, I want to possibly make a, a new career out of. So I went on, I wrote more or less as soon as I finished the first one spent a little bit of time promoting that, but then I got straight on really with writing. I had, I had my idea for where Ghost of a Stranger was, uh, was going to go. Now, part of the book is based on truth, uh, my truth, I suppose, but there is a lot more fiction around uh, Daniel, the, the character from, um, from 20 Years a Stranger, for what he goes on to do and what, ha what subsequently happens to him. So I did take inspiration from the trip to Madagascar and there is a lot about that in the story for, for my part of it. And it, it sort of follows the, the two characters uh, moving on, I suppose, Grace and Daniel, how they are still linked and, and what, what's, what happens to them. So I'm hoping I'm just putting the finishing touches to the rewrites now. And that should be out in the uh, in the summer so I'm looking forward to well, getting congratulations yeah amazing congratulations on that thank you gosh so it just shows you doesn't it that when something uh, quite tragic can happen quite significant that as you've described you can turn that around and there is always something to learn there's always something to gain from those experiences and you've certainly put that into practice by writing and sharing your stories with us so thank you Deborah it's been lovely to talk to you and best of luck with the book 20 Years a Stranger, if you haven't read it, is definitely worth a read. And I look forward to reading Ghost of a Stranger when it's out. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you very much, Gillian. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review and subscribe to be notified each week of new episodes. Until next time. Stay well. Invite joy and curiosity into your life. See you soon.